Hi, I'm Beth Brevis, author of The Princess and the Scoundrel and Rebel Rising, and you are listening to The Living Force. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. A Utini Podcast Network production. <laughs> Episode 182, The Princess and the Scoundrel Roundtable, Part 1. Laugh it up, fuzzball. On this episode, it's the Patreon of the Week. Are you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? New Star Wars books are out. Who's scruffy-looking? And the Utini crew talks about the new Star Wars novel, The Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. I love you. And now, here are your hosts. I know. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! Hello, everyone! Welcome to the Living Force Utini Network podcast tonight that is all about the princess and the scoundrel. I don't like saying it like that, and I shan't again. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to talk all things Han and Leia is the full cast of characters, starting off with the guy who is living, I don't know, at one in the morning? What are time zones? Dr. Corey Helton. Yes. Hello, everyone. I have a new background once again, this lovely tapestry thing. I think it's actually just fabric that this place looks like a tapestry. It's kind of cheap, actually. I'm in another condo. <laughs> I am still in Hawaii. This is our last week in Hawaii. I'm uh, still on Kauai, and we are in the north part of the island now. So uh, it's exciting. This is where a lot of the surfing and stuff happens on uh, yeah, dude. So Yeah, exactly. So Righteous. Yep, we got... We got one more week here in Kauai that I'm doing like two days on Oahu to see Pearl Harbor. So I will not be here next week, but I will be fulfilling a bucket list item for me. That's so huge. I know I've always wanted to see Pearl Harbor. So I'm very, very excited to do that. Um, I got tickets and everything. It's going to be really cool. I'm excited for that. Nice. So uh, we've just been kind of chilling out. We have air conditioner again, which is a, yes! a, a big plus. Huzzah! We were pretty miserable last week without air conditioner. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm excited to be here. I finished Princess and the Scoundrel yesterday, so, you know, no shame. <laughs> you did it! No, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're not miserable because you have air conditioning. But now we also have the man who's miserable, air conditioning or not, it's Dr. Charles Hankel. Yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. My background hasn't changed. I do want to show you guys something, though, because I want your advice. This is the Princess and the Scoundrel hardcover dust jacket but you may notice behind me there's another there's another book there and it already has the dust jacket on it they sent me a double wrapped a double wrapped (laughs) book and now i'm like what do i do with just this extra dust jacket what do i do put it on a random hardcover of nicole's and just confuse it Uh, okay (laughs) all right i like that idea does that happen very often a double dust i've never heard of that happening it's never happened to me yeah, I've never heard of it in my life, but I appreciate it. I have had non-dust jackets. Like, if I order something off Thrift Books, it's like mint Thrift condition. Books, uh, uh, always always double-check if it's a library copy or if it says there's no dust jacket because those are game-changers. Those libraries, man, I know they want people to read, but they'd be stamping the books and all kinds yeah, no! of stuff. No! you got to be stamping those plastic on. Anyway, sometimes you get library copies, but sometimes you get a pristine hardcover with all the fix-ins. And who represents... Pristine and all the fixes. <laughs> Better than Wes Jenkins. You're here. Is my, on, is my audio oh, working? Wes, I oh my god. god. What? <laughs> What's the matter? Uh, Stop that. Right. Okay. <laughs> I just fixed it. Is it good? 
Speaking sorry of for, fixing. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for wasting 15 minutes of everybody's time earlier. Thank you for sticking it out. Um, yes, here we are. Princess and the Scoundrel, and I wore an appropriate shirt, right? Not ah, at all. Not at all. Perfect. Not at all. <laughs> well, we're glad but to again, have you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. You're, you're welcome. Thanks for making it all work. And thanks to all of you for watching and listening. Uh, we love you all so dearly. If you are watching on YouTube, as always, make sure you're liking the video. Leave a little comment below, too. Let us know what you thought about the book or how we're doing. We're always open to feedback as long as it doesn't make us change anything. Uh, I also would love all our audio listeners to rate us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts, help people <clears throat> find the show. Give your in-laws a USB drive with our episodes on it. And just introduce them to Star Wars. Who knows? Maybe that'll be fun. Now, before we get to Princess and the Scoundrel, I do want to say a couple things, including one happy second week of Andor, everyone. Uh, because truly, it is a holiday now. Every single middle of the week, we're back with Star Wars television. It feels great to have Wednesdays to look forward to. If you did watch the first three episodes of Andor, of course you did. It was amazing. Go check out our Bounty Hunt show that we did. If you're an audio listener, that's in a different feed just called Bounty Hunt. We go through all the episodes of all the Disney Plus shows. We did all three of them this week. If you're on YouTube, it's right behind this in the feed. Go check that out and let us know what you thought of Andor. We all freaking loved it and talked about it quite a bit. I also want to actually legitimately want to give you guys an update on the Utini Fantasy Football League because my friends... <clears throat> As of now, hold on, I'm double checking. As of now, I am the highest scorer in our league for the week. Me! I did it! Oh. On the back of Garbage Time, Melvin Gordon and James Robinson. Um. Anyway, that never happens. Mm. I benched Tom Brady and good things happen. So I was pretty happy about that. Wes, how'd you do this week? I'm looking for you. Did well, you okay? um, <clears throat> I originally was looking at the scores early in the afternoon and i was like i got this in the bag no big deal and then i looked at it last night and i lost i lost <laughs> by mm, 20 15 16 points i don't know yeah. i was like oh i have cooper cup playing cooper cup scores 40 every freaking week right no not this week and that's why i lost so congratulations to whoever i played i didn't even look you played against charlie congratulations <laughs> honey you did it you're amazing um oh. uh, <laughs> should be Jeff. That's okay. It's good. It's a good week in our household. Uh, rock on you, teeny fantasy league. I'm sure my high horseness will not last for long, especially because the Cowboys are currently playing as we record, and they are not good at football anymore. Oh. A couple of teeny updates, though. We want to give a shout-out to our Discord. Uh, everyone in our Discord has been having a great time in the event, and oh my gosh, our buddy Jordan, the very own Blind Fates, uh, just jumped in the chat, and he has been running... Uh, the Discord event, which is our High Republic Character Bracket Challenge for Phase 1. Make sure to hop in there if you haven't already. Wes, we have some standings we'd like to show the people. So previously, the matchups... Or Wes, we don't have the matchups. How have we been doing so far? Who is Who has progressed to the second round and who they beat? Ooh, the second round. So we'll say first round, Ty York, Emmerich, Kaftor. Who won that? Ty York, of course. Valiant. Ty York is in is in the second round now, and he will be facing Elzar Man. Elzar Man went against Markion Rowe. That's not fair. That seems like that should have been like a that quarterfinals, mm -hmm. maybe a wild first round. You know, that's not fair. Mm -mm. But Elzar Man, I kind of agree with that. So he'll be in the second round. Vernestra Rowe beat out Orla Jarini. I don't agree it with was that. A tie and good lord, Literally was a tie it breaker. close? <laughs> Yes, it was super cool. I, I didn't look at the I didn't look at the notice until at the end, and somebody had already 
it had already ended the the streak. So Comac Vitus and Torben Buck. Comac Vitus takes it, so he's in the second round. Excellent. And Keeve Trinis takes over Lorna Deeb by a long shot. Twenty three to nine. That's a that's a pretty <clears throat> wide margin. But last uh last of the first round is Court and Crash. Alice Angua. So that's the that's the last of it. So when is that when is that's that going end? right now? If you're watching us live, that is current in Discord. Um, so if you're watching us, open up another tab. Or if you're listening to us, make sure you go into Discord and see what the current lineup is. We got tons of matchups going, and it's such a great way to get us all hyped about Phase Two, which, as we speak, is coming out next week. I got the book right next to me on on the shelf here. <clears throat> Path of Deceit is coming out next Tuesday, October fourth. And, of course, as we always do at Utini, you're going to get a written review. You're going to get a video review on release day. So make sure to check those out and make sure you get your pre-orders in to get all hyped up about the High Republic. Now we want to do a quick thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash Utini, including a couple new ones from last week. We want to double-check we mentioned CJ Pfeiffer and James T., uh, who joined us last week. Thank you so much. James is also part of our Alliance High Command. Thank you so much. And we neglected to do this last week, so we're doing it this week because we are men of our word. We have a patron of the week. Charles, if you wouldn't be so kind, take it away. Because I believe our patron hails from your homeland, if I'm reading this correctly. Yeah, so Alan (laughs) says, I'm Alan from Florence, South Carolina. So yeah, I've been to Florence. Go Cox! I've been to Florence. That's right, go Cox. Uh, If you guys don't know what we're talking about, that was not inappropriate. I just want you to know that. Um, (laughs) Alan says, I've been a, a Star Wars fan for close to 20 years now. Back in late 2004, before ROTS came out, I was super intrigued by this crazy sci-fi world that I hadn't yet experienced. I started asking my dad about it, and that was enough to warrant a trip to Blockbuster, rest in peace, to rent episodes one through five. I watched those DVDs until I could almost recite them and knew them front to back, and finally went to see ROTS when it released. I remember being in awe at the way the story tied up, and it has stuck with me ever since. I missed out on a lot of the animated shows as they released, but thankfully some friends got me to check out Rebels in Time to catch up for its final season. And that series has really stuck with me as my favorite piece of Star Wars storytelling. Seeing how everything I knew from, gr- from growing up was being expanded upon and tied together so perfectly really rekindled my passion for the franchise, and there's been no looking back. Positivity in Star Wars is something that has long been lacking online, and finding Utini was such a breath of fresh air for me as a fan who just enjoys the stories and experiences that we get whenever we may get them. Seeing that kind of energy reflected so much in Utini really spoke to me. I knew this was something I wanted to be a part of, and definitely something that I felt had earned my support as a passionate fan. The love and energy the team has is something special, and watching slash listening to the content that the teams bring to the table is truly like sitting with my friends and nerding out over the thing we all love. I wanted to thank you guys for giving me this short moment to share, and also thank you guys for sharing your love for Star Wars with all of us. No, thank you, Alan. Thank you! From South Carolina, my <laughs> friend and brother. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it means the world. Thanks so much. I'm glad you described exactly what we, why we love to do this, right? We're all just sitting around the proverbial lunch table chatting about things we love, and... Uh, and speaking of things that we hope you're enjoying besides, obviously, the show we make, the site we have, um, our friends over at Star Wars Archives just released their 50th episode. And if 50. you know, uh, if you've been hanging out with Trevor and Jose that long, it, it's been quite a ride on that show. It is silly. It is 
informative, it is irreverent, it is fun, um, and it does feel like just going out to the pub with Trev and Jose um, as much as it can, unless you're seeing karaoke at 2.30 a.m. if you know you know. Uh, but I also want to reveal, I was actually on this 50th episode with our friend Andrew Bell. Um, I'm not going to spoil what we talked about, but it was a really great time. Congratulations to y'all on 50 episodes, and that episode will forever be a Patreon exclusive, so make sure to jump over there, join Alan and the rest of our patrons in supporting the channel and the site and everything we do. Finally, before we jump into Princess and the Scoundrel, I want to remind everyone, like I said just recently, we got books coming out finally, we've had a little bit of a break here, but Path of Deceit from the Higher Public comes out next week, October 4th, and Quest for the Hidden City, which I have right next to me here, The Middle Grade by George Mann, comes out on November 1st. Get those pre-orders in and enjoy the Higher Public again. Alrighty, with all that being said, we have normal non-robot voices, the news has been said... So it must be time to jump into a roundtable. Charles, let's talk all about Princess and the Scoundrel. Yes, as always, we have a lot to get through, guys. So let's get into this plot synopsis, Pronto Ronto. I'm sorry. Um, yes! Yeah, Ronto! <laughs> Pronto Ronto! So, <laughs> Spoilers. Despite, despite the celebration following the destruction of the second Death Star, Han, Leia, and Luke still need to figure out their next steps. Leia has a galaxy to unite and a new republic to build, while Han transitions from a scoundrel to a general in a legitimate military. But before their new responsibilities have the chance to tear them apart, Han proposes and Leia accepts. Luke also provides an offer to train Leia in the Jedi ways, but Leia refuses, citing her link to Vader as enough to distance herself from the power he once wielded to enslave the galaxy. Things move quickly, and the Ewoks throw a wedding ceremony in the Great Tree. Though there's much to do, Mon Mothma convinces Leia to go on a honeymoon that can double as a publicity stunt to prove to the public that the galaxy is once again a free place. She suggests a cruise on the luxury cruise ship Halcyon. Once there, Leia and Han become acquainted with the ship, its crew, and its other passengers, but they quickly realize that not everyone views the fall of the Empire as they do. Furthermore, they soon realize the danger they may be in when Han plays a game of sabacc with a loose-lit passenger named Kilad, who contemplates kidnapping Leia for the numerous bounties on her head. Han foils the attempt and has Kilad thrown in the brig. Leia looks for ways to remain useful to the Republic and sends messages to several worlds she hopes to entice to join the new government. She's troubled when she receives a particularly cold response from Prime Minister Jens of the planet Madurs. She then manages to trick the captain of the Halcyon to change the course of their voyage to include a stop on Madurs. Despite these stressors, she finds yet more time to contemplate her connection to the Force and Luke's encouragement to deepen it. Once they arrive on Madurs, a freezing moon defined by ice palaces, Han and Leia quickly find evidence of the Empire's presence. In particular, there is a mysterious black tower in the distance that locals are reluctant to discuss. Even Prime Minister Jens refuses to acknowledge it and openly declines Leia's offers to discuss Republic aid. After many failed attempts, Han and Leia realize they'll have to undertake an investigation on their own, and they quickly discover the Black Tower is a still-functioning underwater Imperial mining facility that is slowly stripping the moon of its resources and destabilizing its core in the process. When they confront Yen's senior commander, Alicia Beck reveals herself and attempts to kill them, but they manage to escape. Shortly after, they are taken in by the cliff dwellers who have banded together into a ragtag rebellion of their own. Leia coordinates an underwater assault on the Imperial Tower. They are met with a strong resistance and are nearly defeated. Amidst, amongst the chaos, Leia opens herself to the Force and is rewarded with the assistance of one of the gigantic local sea creatures who helps to finish off the mining station and drag it down into the depths of the ocean. 
Before they have much time to celebrate, word reaches them that Beck and a group of Imperials were able to escape and are attempting to flee. Furthermore, the mining station damaged the core of the moon enough that it will soon break apart entirely. Han flies back to the Halcyon and helps to hold off the Imperials just long enough for Republic backup to arrive, and Beck is captured. As they focus on evacuating Madurs, the prisoner Keelad comes forward with a solution. As an expert in tractor beam technology, he believes he has a way to stabilize the moon. Begrudgingly, they allow him a chance to prove himself, and he succeeds. When he demands payment that Prime Minister Jens cannot possibly afford, Leia offers Republic credits. Yen's voices concern about entering into an agreement with another government. Leia offers that it is a gesture of goodwill rather than a loan, hoping to show how a well-intentioned government should operate. As their mission comes to a close, Han and Leia finally get to focus on their marriage and enjoying their honeymoon. Countless obstacles remain on the horizon, but for now, they choose to focus on finding happiness in each other. All right, so there's everything that happened in this book, at least Aww. the condensed version. So let's take a moment to reflect on the experience what did y'all get out of this? What new value did this book bring? And what in particular got you really excited? Uh, straight up, this is the book that finally made me understand Han and Leia's relationship. Like, kind of full stop. That was... I never... I liked Anakin and Padme more than them previously. I usually liked other relationships. Like, I know they are the couple, but I never quite got why they loved each other because they essentially kind of knew each other for a couple weeks and then got married like in the grand scheme of everything but their back and forths in this and watching their marriage kind of start off with tension but then grow to evolve into teamwork and like seeing them have those really hard conversations at the beginning that eventually end up with just wanting to be each other and knowing that no matter what they got each other's back that finally made me understand how much they love each other and I think Beth Revis wrote some of my favorite quotes about their love about when we were in their eyes looking at the other person i actually finally felt like oh gosh like you adore each other and you fight but you can't imagine yourself without them and i really love that so that was my biggest takeaway was finally after what 47 years 45 <laughs> years uh understanding han and leia yeah um so there was like an argument that han and leia had um, saying like Leia was like, well, why did you why did you say that way? He's like, because I have your back always. Because I love you. It's like some, somewhere along those lines. And it's I was on like, page wow. one hundred and seventy. Yeah. That's one of my quotes I wrote down. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really want to. I don't want to ruin it. And I think I, and no, I obviously didn't because I didn't put, I didn't say it verbatim. But was it if you're um, a bird, so, I'm a bird? Isn't that what it was? <laughs> yeah. You're gonna make me cry, Charles. <laughs> one of the main takeaways that I saw uh, was Leia. Being able to use the force and feeling the force, like mm-hmm. we've ne- we haven't seen that outside of um, outside of Tross, right? So, right, just yep. that little bit. So, ha- having some literary context behind that, right after the Battle of Endor and her feeling that even before is really cool to see, especially written down for canon wise. So, it's yeah. canon. It's real. She's felt the force. I like that. Yeah, I, I will try to say something different because I'm sure we're going to talk about the relationship in detail later on. But this book, for me, the, the biggest thing that this did was it sort of flashed me back to Legends a little bit. Because, like, my favorite stuff to read as a, as a kid when I first got into Star Wars books was all of that content around the original, you know, uh, pair, right? The original folks, like Luke, Leia, and Han, and, like, the, the OT characters. And that's really what got me into Star Wars, right? So... This book, interestingly, 
planted a lot of seeds, I think, for like that same era to kind of be explored in canon, which is very interesting because I'm not sure that we have, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure that we have had a book so directly close to a film, at least the original trilogy, like so far, like because this book literally happens moments after Endor, right? So yeah, like, right. Yeah. Endor's like and, literally happening drunk, in the background. The drunk party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the drinking yeah. party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know. It's very interesting. I mean, it, that those it has felt for a long time that that those types of uh time spaces have been kind of off limits for authors so it's very cool to mm-hmm. see like this is what the galaxy looks like after indoor and canon right and yeah like uh, i really like that kind of stuff and i hope we get i hope we you know we, we talked recently about like how can we fill in those gaps and i think that's the gap that i'm looking for the most is you know i want to know what happens between indoor and force awakens like the whole time. How does the yeah. first order come about? How does the empire get truly defeated? All that kind of stuff. So, you know that this really added a lot to that era for me, um, and uh, you know I, I think it was a, a fun read because of that. Absolutely. So when when was Bloodline in Zay membrane insane in the membrane? Yeah. She asked like around Bloodline was like makes you want to read that. So when was Bloodline? It's it's We're later. A ways after this. Um, Is it okay? Yeah. I forget the exact B, the A B Y B B Y A B C. We have to know now. I know. We have to know now. I'll look it yeah, up on our timeline unless somebody beats me to it. It's a great recommendation, though. Um, and Zane and Brandon both saying that they want to like Brandon now says wants to revisit it, like to see Leia have agency. She has a lot of agency in this book, I think, too. If that's what you want, Bloodline is a great, I think, honestly, spiritual successor to this book. Great call. <laughs> Yeah. Well, while we're looking this up, speaking of Leia, let's go ahead and jump into the character section and and talk a little bit about Leia Organa. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing I think we should talk about is her relationship with Han, because that was front and center in this novel. So a few quotes for you from page 12. Leia should be questioning this, him, everything, but they'd already stolen one night. Why not steal a lifetime more? As chaotic as it was, she knew that she would never regret this decision. She was making her happiness an indelible part of her own history, and that was worth the risk. Mm. Also from page 12, for so long, everything in her life had been part of a greater plan, but love could not be scheduled. From page 175, she wasn't supposed to be alone, was she? It was such a dichotomy in her life. She believed in the power of unification and alliances that power had defeated the empire after all. But somewhere over the past four years, Leia had begun isolating herself. When she first started participating in seditious rebellion, she had welcomed the aid of allies, but then she'd seen allies die. Leia consistently tried to prove over and over again that she didn't need help, didn't want help. The more independent she became, the less likely she was to hurt others, including herself. And then finally, from page 176, she couldn't even give him the one thing he asked of her, time. The very thing the war had supposedly granted them. Bitter bile rose in Leia's throat. She didn't want a medal or a prestigious appointment, but she longed for the freedom to accept at least a little joy. She'd never really considered before that it wasn't something bestowed by peace at the end of war. It was something waiting for her to claim, if only she could allow herself to do so. So, it's no secret Leia stretched pretty thin at this point in the timeline. She's got a whole lot going on, a new marriage, a rebellion, or now a resistance to run, yet she continually goes back to Han. 
So what does her relationship with Han represent to her? What does Han offer that nothing else in her life can provide? Hmm. Sarah's in Ford, Charles. Well, there's <laughs> that. <laughs> haven't, you, haven't you seen him on the beach and just pair of blue jeans and no shirt my goodness <laughs> I, I i was i was very interested in han and leia's relationship in this uh because you know, caitlin and i have talked about it a lot actually and uh it's it, it's pretty toxic to be honest like it's not a very healthy relationship and i don't think anybody would argue that it is and i don't think we're supposed to understand it as being a very healthy relationship i mean just the the pace at which they made everything happen. I mean, Han was frozen for a year, right? And then Indoor happened, and then, like, they immediately got engaged, and then, like, they immediately got married after they got engaged. So, like, you know, they really rushed things there at the very end. And I understand, like, you know, this is that kind of romantic wartime story right you had a you know you know yeah you gotta make it know you know it is the my grandpa came home after world war ii and he my saw he met my grandmother she's a woman in the street and he kissed her and they eloped and they've been married for 50 like it's yeah it's that kind of it's supposed to be that which is you know really high risk high reward i suppose right so like You know, I I thought it was very interesting to see their relationship, especially in this early stage, because, you know, they're both adults and have a lot of life experience and have, you know, they're really, they're leaders and they're fiercely independent. And, uh, you know, I I relate to Princess Leia a lot. I'm the same Enneagram as Princess Leia. I am the same Myers-Briggs as Princess Leia. So, like, I, uh, I... I see her point of view a lot. It's really funny um, in this in this book. But, like, it's also you see a lot of really toxic traits that I think I kind of have seen in my own relationships over time of, like, you know, thinking about the the greater good and, like, not, like, not really thinking about your relationship in the context that you kind of should be and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was very interested to see them sort of grow. But, like, I, I kind of feel like a little bit as as the reader we were supposed to feel like, you know, and they live happily ever after at the end. And I don't think that's really the case necessarily at all. Like, it's more like they have literally just started to take their first steps towards a healthy relationship, but they still have so far to go. Like, yeah. Like being alone with each other. Yeah. When have we seen that? I know. Outside of like, like minutes where they've yes. been alone and they're just trying not to die. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like yeah. And there's yeah. so much, there's so much volatility in, the, in those mm-hmm. moments, like when they are alone, right? Like, it's, yeah, it, it, there's always something at stake, right? Yeah. There's never just like right. peace, right? Yeah, right, right. What's the tough thing, right, for any for any <clears throat> soldier or any any politician, especially in this universe, that peace is not a, a constant? Because one, like, there's not as much drama in the story, so obviously, you know, Star Wars and all that stuff. But what what I like that you did here, Charles, when you phrase like, what does Han? <laughs> what does her relationship with Han represent to her? I think Han yeah. for Leia, especially in this story, represents the galaxy that she occasionally loses sight of. Because I yeah. think she sees, since she was a kid, since we saw her in Kenobi and then Princess Leia of Alderaan and all these things, she sees the galaxy. And she's been on the ground and she sees individual rebellion groups and things. But she doesn't really see, like, many, like, friends or people or, like, her her own version of self care, like her her micro right. is not as as useful as her macro, and I think Han is the one that says, "Hey, 
you want to like go get a mimosa? Like he's that yeah. guy that like brings <laughs> her down to earth and says, "Hey, it's just yeah. like Saturday." Some, yeah. You know? Reality. Like he's like the he's like he just, the life that she couldn't have, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that he represents her the person that will all, he'll put her before her responsibilities, and I think she uh-huh. never will. So I think that she he kind of keeps her level at that point to make sure she's always making sure that she's okay. And then, of mm-hmm. course, we talked to Beth Revis a little bit about this when we interviewed her. Um, you know, we know as an audience that eventually they separate for yeah. however long in Force Awakens. And it's evident because they will back to what they were good at and Leia retracts into her senatorial rebellion resistance duties and Han retreats into his running away. But yeah. I think when they're together in this book specifically, when they're at their best, <clears throat> Han stays and Leia takes a breath. And yeah. if they can yeah, make exactly. each other do that, it's great. And the second they lose it, ping, they're gone. No, they're really that, bad at sounds, really bad at fighting too, right? Oh, that yeah. sounds like a big similarity with uh, Anakin and Padme. So Anakin would do anything for Padme, yet Padme would always do her duty first. Yep. Right? So she would do. You were just duty. talking about that. She would do her she duty. Do <laughs> Especially she falls like three stories out of a ship. I mean, she'll immediately get right back up. So you know, it's all good. It's all good. So we could That's probably force, we could probably make this roundtable really short, and I could just ask you guys the question: Is Leia a good wife, and is Han a good husband? <laughs> I I say oh, yes, God. but I know we'll get to more of that. We'll expand more. Yeah, yeah. I I mean. I like where you were where you were going with that, uh, Corey, because it really was pretty striking to to look that they did not have things figured out. I mean, it was no. very much they got married on a whim. Uh, yeah. Like even Leia was surprised when Han proposed. I don't have that exact quote here, but I mean, she was really taken aback. And I don't know. It, it almost just the entire time reading the book, even though they were improving, there was that sense of melancholy. Yeah. That I had to fight because it's like it doesn't really work out. I mean, the marriage <clears throat> yeah. itself doesn't work yeah. out, right? You can say their relationship still does, but there yeah. was passion. just that sense to it. There's certainly yeah. passion in the relationship, and that that is so evident. I, and that has always been evident of Han and Leia's relationship. Like when they, yeah. like they fight really, really hard, and they love each other really, really hard. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. it's yeah. very heated at all times. But that's a that's sort of a it's a dangerous way to to have stability in a relationship, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm I'm very uh, Caitlin and I have talked a lot about relationship. I'm, I'm married to a therapist, right? Like, I mean, her her degrees in as marriage you should and family be. therapy. Yes, you exactly. Should as you should exactly. be. Exactly. As Leia should be as well. <laughs> as Leia should be as well. And Han. And, and it's just like like I remember I was I got mad multiple times when I was finishing this book last night. <laughs> Like, it's relatable. Like, Caitlin would just like over me, and she would be like, "What?" I'm like, "What?" So I'm like, "What? What are you?" She's like, "You keep, you keep loudly sighing while you're reading this book," and I'm just like, oh, "The relationship is so toxic, and it's making me mad." And that's just, it's just well, hilarious to me. Yeah. Like, you, there, you, there's, you, there's one line that I love that I think really helps this out because, like, because I think one of the things is that we're used to seeing in romance, in Star Wars, and in all fantasy and stuff is that it's two people that need each other to survive, right? It's like you are my other part; I'm empty without you. I honestly, I don't actually need each other. I think like yeah. there because there's a great quote that I wrote down in chapter one that's like he needed her the same way he needed the Falcon. Yeah, sure, he could fly without her, but what was the point? And I think that's the key is like they would both <clears throat> be okay, yeah. Yeah. but what's the point of being okay when you can have the explosiveness? And I think that that 
you know, Han wants the explosiveness because he's always had explosions, <clears throat> and now this is actually maybe kind of an unemotional, like, leveling, and Leia has always had the level no explosions, so she's, I mean, like, meeting each other. <laughs> if, you, if you really do want to get down to the root of the problem, they both just have an immense amount of trauma, and it has leaked over into every part of the relationship. So, I mean, like... Not relatable at all. Nope. Not relatable at all. <laughs> yep, not What's at all. So. <laughs> Yes, and I honestly like that the book was written this way, to be honest. And I, I want to sort of backtrack a little bit because it sounds like I'm, I'm just kind of crapping over the relationship. I think it is like a very beautiful like way to fill in the gap a little bit because like you say, yeah. we do know that they separate by the time Force Awakens, which was such an interesting choice. Like you know, they didn't take a lot of risk with the Force Awakens. Not really. I mean, it's almost episode four, like rehash. That was the mm-hmm. major flack that it got when it was first released. But like that was kind of a major risk to split up the romantic couple of Absolutely. the original trilogy. That's a big risk, yeah. right? So yeah. I-, I liked that. I like that, that Beth Revis, really got it right i mean i i felt like the fights were very very believable (laughs) i mean a lot of them they were stressful (laughs) yeah exactly that's why they were stressful and it's why i kept loudly sighing while i was reading the book last night right because it's like it's it it fits and it's fitting and it 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 seems realistic and it it makes the if this would have just been this beautiful romantic story between them where they had no issues whatsoever it it wouldn't have like hit as hard but it does it does leave that sort of melancholy sadness a little bit with you of like mm-hmm. damn they couldn't make it work they should have uh, went to couples counseling they really should have well, they should have <laughs> right in the beginning right i thought beginning. it was very odd when they got on the halcyon and and han immediately leaves to go get a drink the drink was terrible he goes and finds a sabat game so in, he's gone for a couple closet, hours like, like an engineering and, hatch like what the yeah. as soon as they weird. get there uh, they're on their honeymoon and yeah, they are yeah. separated immediately yeah like so i was like not a good sign like, not a good already sign. <laughs> on a similar note though you know who would be a really good therapist uh, as evident by this book mon mothma oh my god yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i think yes. she's actually just the rebellion's uh a therapist i think she really is i agree completely I agree completely. Optics. <laughs> She's all about optics. Listen, Leia. People are going to see that you're having a good time. That means nothing. Everybody has nothing to worry about. That There's was no big deal. Yeah. But that was we, know, idea. we know. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking. Galaxies in shambles. Speaking of <laughs> Leia's trauma, let's talk a little bit about her connection to the Force because that was certainly a source of some yes. of her trauma in this novel. Yeah. And a few quotes for you from page 17. His voice trailed off as Leia shook her head. I don't care about the Force, she said softly. I would want to go with you because I would like to be with you. I would like to get to know my brother as my brother. Luke kept telling her that she had time to decide, that it wasn't one or the other, but it felt like she had a choice to make. Go with Luke and choose a family of a sibling pair, exploring the unknown elements of the galaxy, discovering the Force and all it went, or all it meant, or go with Han and choose a family of her own making, discovering nothing more than herself. Later, on page 157, we see the first inkling of Leia using the Force. Meanwhile, her brother could raise his hand, Leia raised her hand, and Luke could just waggle his fingers, Leia curled her own fingers inward, and move things with his mind. The rocks on the island garden shifted forward several centimeters. Leia dropped her arm in her mouth simultaneously. Had she done that? Great moment. And then lastly, on 339, mm-hmm. after she has called the Edont sea creature beast up from the depths of hell, she says all those other times <laughs> she's been reaching forward, trying to grab something in the great beyond. But 
It had been threaded within herself the whole time. The force as much felt her as she felt it. And so, when she had asked for help rather than trying to seize control, it had answered, as if it had been waiting for her to simply ask all along. That's a great line. It's great. It is. So, Leia struggles with reasons to both accept and reject her connection to the Force. Yet, we know that ultimately she does train with Luke, even though it doesn't happen in this novel. So... In your mind, why does Leia embrace that connection? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, oh man, I mean, I think there's for me it's two it's two points. One, seeing Luke do that and know that she has that power, I think that is not in a dark side way, but it's almost like too good to resist. It's like if I have this ability, why would I not try to embrace it? Like <laughs> Leia has always been raised to take advantage of her abilities and her talents and to cultivate them for the good of the galaxy. And I think she's like, I have a, I can just do that. Which then I think leads into my second point, which I think might be bigger is that do I not have a responsibility to use these talents and gifts for the betterment of the galaxy? Like I have been trained to be a Senator, to be a politician using my mind, using my body, using my spirit. If I can use the force and I'm one of the, as far as she knows, the two people in the universe that can do it, <laughs> maybe I probably have a responsibility to cultivate those skills for the betterment of all. So I think that it's her her sense of duty just kicks in. And yeah, it's I cool. Mean, yeah, <laughs> it, is cool. it is cool. And I, I, I will say that I think that – I think it's evident that, that Beth Brevis did a lot of research about – kind of how this has been done before because this was very reminiscent of Legends I feel like in the way that mm. Leia sort of is really hesitant to ever go down this path like um, you know I, I read the Air of the Empire not that long ago and, and this is heavily featured in that book too that she wanted to take time off and really couldn't find the time and but like this felt more emotional and and like deeper than I think Legends even did it though of like she was very hesitant to do that because of her father and you know, I do also find it very interesting that she decides to, uh, like, she sort of explores the idea of maybe getting, like, trying to train her own Jedi powers to save other people, which is very reminiscent of Anakin, right? So, you know, I, it's oh, very yeah. interesting oh, to me that she, oh, wow. it's very interesting wow. to me that she, <laughs> like, recognizes immediately before she even goes down this path that her motives are all wrong. And I don't think Luke would have ever been able to do that. Mm. Like, Oh like, no. Oh no. Why did I, Luke did it for, why did he do it? I mean, you know, his, he was so, what's he chasing glory? Like what exactly was yeah, Luke chasing? Cause he's it's a teen, unknown. he's a teenage kid. And then yeah. like that power yeah. is exciting. Yeah. 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 Like, like the way he I, talked to Yoda in the hut. That's why Yoda yeah. was like, no, you're not ready because he's like, yeah, I am ready. Ben, tell him I'm ready. You know, like it's, yeah. Do you see that yeah. front flip I did over that, over that crick? Yeah. His whole, his whole <laughs> Life has been. I'm. I'm not ready. Right. It's like I want to go. Yeah. I want to go to my friends. No. I want to go to the Imperial Academy. No. Yeah. Like I'm going to be a Jedi. Yeah, Dang it. I think. I think if. I think if we had traded their roles, I think Leia would have been a better Jedi. I think than Luke was. Like if if their roles had been switched. And, I agree. You know, I don't. I don't know that she would have failed Ben Solo the way that that Luke did. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that she I think she Yoda agrees as well, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Yoda's <laughs> waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, all in all, just to say that I really appreciated the way that, that, Le- that Leia's hesitancy to pursue the Force was explored in this book. And I hope we get mm-hmm. more content around that. I would love to see some yeah. super original content just about Leia's own 
you know, like like path. Dude, the time she spent training with Luke, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the path of the Jedi is what it should be called. <laughs> Make it a video game. Shoot, I don't know. Oh man, Wouldn't that be awesome. Play as Leia. That decision, like, is is not easy. And Beth Revis actually putting that in the book and letting people read that, like, ninety nine. I'm not gonna ninety five percent of the people reading the book, like, I would have chose to learn how to use the Force immediately, no oh, yeah. problem. Yeah, Vader right. or not. And then, but then adding this context of, wait a second, I could possibly have this for for ill will i could use it to like sway the senate in a way that it shouldn't be done like uh, in a democracy kind of way mm-hmm. and just like have them to see you know what i want all taxations to come through this toll road so all the money goes to my bank account so <laughs> oh my god imagine padme in the senate using where did all this money come from and she's like it's like during a vote and she just like presses the vote buttons just like tunk tunk Tunk. Oh, look, it passed. Oh, look it. Oh, my goodness. Who the fuck? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but good for, good for her to uh, actually look inside herself, have second thoughts, and, like, see there's two different avenues that this could go. And one is, like, you don't know which path you're going to take. That's what's yep. so crazy about the Force. Like, once you get yeah. to that fork, you're just like, oh, temptation. I know. Do good. Temptation. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah, It it read almost like addiction. Sorry, go ahead. In a way. Like, you know, knowing that your family, like addiction to the dark side or something, knowing, you know, your father struggled with that thing. And if you open that door, might you go down the same path? That's kind of how it was, I I don't know, playing in my head. Yeah. So lots of light themes in this book. Um, Dude, people can't can get addicted to an alcoholic beverage. You tell me you can't get addicted to shooting lightning out of your fingers, my guy! I got some photoshopping to do after uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's talk a little bit more about Leia's actual connection to Vader. And I have some quotes here. They're Please, a little I bit longer, this. but I really thought that this was one of the highlights of this yeah. book. Some so, of the best parts of the entire book. Yeah, yeah. From page 49, Leia skidded to a stop. There was the source of the smoky smell that still lingered in a sickening haze around the area. A funeral pyre. Gray ash and black soot stained the green and brown forest floor. Bile rose in Leia's throat. This had not been a simple wood fire. She knew even without seeing any charred bones. She knew. Emotion clenched her throat and for a moment she couldn't breathe. Her eyes welled with unshed tears, but she turned her face, forcing them down. She would not cry for him. Leia glanced down. She had stopped right on the edge of the line of ash. Very purposefully, Leia raised her foot and crossed from green moss to gray soot. Soft powder stirred as she strode through the remains of the funeral pyre. She could still see the faint charred black timbers of the broken base, but the fire had reduced nearly everything to dust. Good, Leia thought. Her real father, Bale, was dust too. But he died on Alderaan, which had exploded among the stars. It was not a comfort, not at all, but it made her glad that Bale was stardust and Vader was nothing but sooty mud. Her father would drift in the heavens forever, and her torturer was scum on the bottom of her shoe. Go oh. off, Beth! Go <laughs> all right. off! There's more. Page 50. 
Darth Vader's helmet was twisted and mangled, melted and misshapen, but still absolutely recognizable. There was a sort of horror-filled fascination to the way Leia bent at the waist, reaching for the gray-covered helmet. Would there be remnants of his flesh inside? Bone? Would his skull tip out? And I, I included this part just because that's Wes's question always, right? <laughs> <laughs> Would his head fall out of that thing? That had to be your favorite part. All right. On the very next page, I'm glad you're dead, Leia whispered to the mask. There was no anger in her voice, only quiet truth. I will never forgive you. Something twisted inside her, rising like a flame, burning and choking her throat. I hate you, Leia snarled, and she hurled the helmet into the... I hate you! I hate you! (laughs) Her father burned... Her father did burn. Her eyes burned, and her nostrils flared, and for a moment she felt nothing but the rage sweeping over her. It was feral, and it was powerful. She tasted ash on the back of her tongue, and blood. You are not my father, Leia screamed. The word echoed around the otherwise silent forest, and it was in the silence that Leia accepted the truth of the words she spoke. Her mind cleared. Her hate faded. No matter what Luke said, no matter what her own blood proved, Vader, Vader was not her father. A family was chosen, not born. All right. That was a, uh, that was a heavy scene. Just in No yeah. kidding. Yeah. No kidding. That was one yeah. of my favorites I've read. Yeah. In a while. It really was. was yes. Yeah. It's a really big difference. Dark and scary and like like Leia is like is this a dark side right here? I mean I don't know man. That was really yeah. heavy. Yeah. Heavy. And stuff. like a ro- like this is the romance book. It's the funny honeymoon. We're gonna get married. Oh my god. Cool. Be right back. I'm so glad you're dead. You're not my father. Ah! Like I was just. Yeah. It, it's chilling. True, honestly. A true dichotomy between her and Luke because Luke embraced yeah. it. That was like Vader yeah. is Luke's father. Exactly. Not, yeah. yeah. And exactly. He stood like with respect at the pyre, and it's so interesting. We have now gotten the pyre in so many versions. Like we see it with Luke and Ratjay. Then I think it's Alphabet Squadron, right? Will Lark like sees yep. the pyre. Yeah. Happening. So we see that from an outsider has no idea what's going on, and then we get Leia afterwards, happiest moment of her life potentially, has to do this and has to reckon with her destiny in that moment, like. This innocuous this heavy couple shit, frames, yeah. we have seen it now in so many different ways. And I, I, Star Wars is awesome for that. Like, that we can reframe different moments from certain points of view. It's like a Rosh, uh, Ram, Roshishan? What's that movie? Roshishan? Um, God, it's a movie, it's an ancient Japanese movie where it's like a, a, a crime happens and then it is a, a like, eight different people. Oh, have their yeah. version of what happened. Someone in the chat will know. Anyway, I love that. I think it's very cool. It's what it's the same technique they used in the Last Jedi with Luke standing over Ben. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, so all of that to say, this is why Leia was so scared. You know, to embrace the Force. Later on, in a final quote, she says, you know, that she wouldn't let Vader essentially take the Force from her, um, and that she would reclaim it from his dead and grasping hands. It was very just i don't know the imagery was was pretty dark here but personally i had never put so much thought into leia's feelings regarding vader like as i was reading that scene i was Mm -hmm. like oh man i thought they were cool like you know (laughs) so like were you surprised were you surprised to see them come out so opposite exactly like wes is saying like she her view of vader is just diametrically opposed to luke's to the point that at one point she calls Luke Vader's son rather than her yeah. brother, even. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was it's beautifully tough, done. It's tough, man. I mean, it was beautifully done. I love that. 
I love that she sort of struggled with the idea that Luke was so okay with it too, like so obviously. Yeah. Like she's like, Vader yeah, did maybe. torture her. Like we kind of yeah, glossed yeah, over yeah. that in episode four. Like he literally tortures her. I know. Yeah. And and and, and she's she she has. There's one moment in here. I don't know the exact quote where she's something like. Like what? Luke takes his mask off and looks into his eyes, and all is forgiven. Like hell no! Like no, I'm yeah. not okay with that. Like he did a lot of a lot of awful stuff. And she says. Ma- she says on page five, perhaps it was merely that Luke had never been tortured by their biological father the way she had. And I was like, true, but he did cut his hand off, and like you know, a lot of other bad stuff. So. Yeah, true. but also he didn't blow up Tatooine. That, you know? that is like, true. That is true. I mean, if he did, he would have been doing the galaxy a favor, probably. <laughs> For real. We could, our, the shows could take place somewhere else. Dude. Um. <laughs> but, I would much yeah. rather have, like, seven seasons of live-action TV on Alderaan than Tatooine. Oh, my God. Just for what it's worth. But, yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. I, loved, all the, I loved all the contrast with, uh, with Luke's experience with Vader in this. And, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you that, like, I don't know that any of us had ever put so much thought into Leia's feelings regarding mm-hmm. Vader. And uh, we have seen a glimpse of this like later on where she has come to terms with it, right? Like in Bloodline, she has come to terms with it by that time, 28 years after that. Yeah, much later, crap, but yeah, right? she does. Yeah, so she's clearly okay with it. And she goes before the Senate and even makes some epic speech about how she's okay with it. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. uh, it's clear that a lot has changed, or a lot does change down the road. And, yep. uh, and there's, it's clear there's a lot of exploration that has to be done. Uh, you know, I think we should just give Beth Revis that <laughs> book now that I'm thinking of it. Give me the... Leia, the Leia becoming a Jedi book where she trains with Luke and also has to grasp with the fact that Vader was her father. That that's the whole theme of the book, right? Like that would be fantastic. That'd be very good. It would be fantastic. I, also I think like I think pictures. Beth could. I think yes, exactly. I think pictures Beth could write it incredibly, incredibly well. Yeah. I mean, good mm-hmm. lord, these lines. <laughs> Let her, oh yeah, man, let her torture was scum on the bottom of her shoe. Holy <laughs> yeah. damn, that is like one of the heaviest like, lines I've ever read. Yeah, this was her perfect audition for having a novel about that, and she killed it. So give it yeah. to her. You know, I feel like Luke, like every year Luke is like Leia. We need to honor the anniversary of our father's death, and Ugh. Leia's like with a party. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like she's like, Luke, we're not she's doing already, that. She's already two beers in. House. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I do want to say, because I know we're about to go to Han a little bit, I just want to give a shout-out on the Leia section to uh, Saskia Marveld, who did the voice of Leia in the audiobook. Um, one of one of my favorite audiobook narrators. She did Alphabet Squadron, the first book. Uh, she's done a bunch of great stuff, and I thought her Leia was just tremendous. Uh, she's got a, more, more of like a, like a deeper tenor to her voice, which really helped like the maturity of Leia super well. Uh, and just shout-out to her, because for those that may not have listened to this on audiobook... It was split up into Han and Leia chapters between Mark Thompson and Saskia Marveld very interestingly. And I thought Saskia just absolutely killed uh, the Leia yeah. performance. So shout yeah, out to her. Yeah, we, f- we forgot to mention that, too, like uh, how we all read the book this time. Because I, I did a digital oh, yeah. read this time. I usually do the audio books, but I was blowing through this one last minute. So I, I did, the, I did the, the book this time. Wes, did you do audio book as usual? Yes, I did the audio book. Um, I thought it was very interesting how they had... Um, Mark Thompson, right, did um, did Han, and then Leia was done by Saskia. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it went back and forth. So basically it was like chapter for chapter or section for section. And then the very last chapter, they Han was done by, uh, was, was done by Mark Thompson, Leia done by Saskia, and they, they did it back like every single line. That was Han 
was Mark. Leia was Saskia. Just it, like it was back yeah. and forth. It was like I was an like, audio drama. And I was like, yeah. why didn't they do that from the very beginning? And I was like, because. I agree. <laughs> I know, but that's what everybody it said. It wouldn't have been, the payoff wouldn't have been as great at the end if you yeah. if you would have got it just for that one section. Maybe, but like we've maybe been, two chapters uh, at the end out of like. I've like, heard it like, like, we, I've heard it like uh, didn't work in a lot of places, right? With with Sasuke trying to do yeah. Han's voice and Mark trying to do Leia's we, voice. We love Mark. Mark's an amazing audiobook narrator. We've been pretty honest in the past that sometimes his female voices don't don't quite be, aren't as quite fully realized as some of his male voices. And when you hear an actual, like, woman do Leia, and then you hear Mark Thompson try to do Leia, like, it's, it's almost twice as aversion-breaking. Like, I wish they would have just done the lines. I wish they made them roles. But but that being said, like Wes says, the last the last chapter is something very, very special. So mm-hmm. if you have an Audible credit, highly recommend. I, I did a hybrid. I did part yeah. Audible, part reading. Um, which I know a lot of our listeners do. You get through the book really freaking fast. Uh, but yeah. also that was... Uh, that was a fun thing to kind of bounce back and forth. This so. is new. I don't think we've had this happen before, at least not in recent memory with canon books. I, I can't think of any other book that have had mm-hmm. multiple narrators like this outside of the audio nope. dramas, right? So nope. very interesting risk they took with that. I wonder if they decided to flip them for that last chapter because it was written in a way in which that could have easily be done, first of all, and second of all, because mm-hmm. they weren't happy with how it worked out, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to see how this can be explored in in uh in future works like with as much mm-hmm. production that they put into the audiobooks it doesn't really seem like doesn't really seem like it would be that huge of a challenge to involve multiple people in it necessarily and it's a matter of putting multiple people in a booth i guess but interesting idea i don't know i i, I yeah. wonder I, this is a this has been an interesting test to see how this could be done down the road so yeah yeah for sure i had a pretty unique experience too because the way that the narrator changed every chapter, I would change out the dust jacket on my book from one to the other. <laughs> and it was really, it had a different feel in the hand. It was very, yeah, sure. it, was, it was good. The, the texture is different, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, God. of course. So, so wrapping up the Leia section, I just want to point out a quote that, Corey, you alluded to earlier that really stuck with me as well from page 280. When Leia asks, what is the point of power if it cannot save the people I love? And if yeah. that's not something straight from Anakin's mouth, I, I, I mean, so yeah. well. it does beg the question, is her fear legitimate? If she had chosen the Jedi over the Republic, what are the odds that she may have fallen to the dark side, even if it was for a season? I, the <laughs> chance is there. I don't know, yeah. man. I, I I love the uh, I love the the dark side trope that in that involves the the classic the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like that's yeah. such a good story narrative of like you know they they always start with really good intentions and yep. and then you know they they fall over the edge. So I, that would be an interesting storyline. I would love to see. You know, I think that all all great Jedi stories we've ever seen deal with the temptation of falling to the dark side, right? The seduction of the dark side. So I think if we ever do get, get that Leia story, like I hope that that is, you know, a, a, a challenge that she has to face, right? Like the, the temptation of the dark side, because I feel like Leia in a lot of the ways that she's been depicted, especially in legends is she is this sort of like angelic like character that can sort of do no wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see that explained, you know, that explored of like, you know, were there instances in which she did almost cross the line, you know, because that's not really characteristic of what we've ever seen Leia do. So, you know, that being True. involved in her Jedi story 
maybe even leading to her it, walking away from it. That would be very, very interesting. So I love this line, yeah. Charles. That yeah. was really, really good. Yeah, I like really I like excellent. how the assumption is that Leia would obviously choose the light. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. so yeah. obvious that she yeah. has to be yeah. a Sith. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but because she was raised by good people and yeah. Bale, the, the, there's like three Bale and Bria moments in there with remembrances. And I know we won't, we won't really touch on those because they're not really huge, but th- I think that's part of why she's so late is because she's remembering mm-hmm. her great upbringing. And mm-hmm. when Bria's like putting the sword on her during her wedding and she feels that oh, yeah. made me very that emotional. Was, that well. was another incredible scene in this book too that I love that they threw in. I, at first I was like, why are they doing this whole sword thing? Like kind of, this is very obscure lore that I don't remember. Maybe some of this was in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. I can't remember. Yep, it's all if, in there. Yeah, and, um, but man, that was a heavy scene. That got me pretty emotional too. Of her father kissing her forehead and she yeah. was like grassing with like, is it real? It can't be real, right? Is this the force? Yeah. Is this what Luke says the force is? I don't know. That was beautiful. Oh. I thought that was very nice. So, Also, the other thing that we should mention really quickly being really beautiful, the whole ring thing with the Ewok, that was oh, the yeah. heartwarming, was wholesome so thing ever. <coughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> Nerve-wracking, too. Honestly, straight up, great wedding. God, this <laughs> great thing, wedding. This thing is so really fragile, I can't wedding. do anything with it. I know, <laughs> can't do anything with it. And, and also, the the Ewoks apparently know how to party, like, super hard, which like is red. crazy, yeah. Also, it, you know, this is a great time to throw in that thing that I brought up to you guys right before the show, too. This random line that is really just brushed over that I thought was hilarious, that Leia is talking about how when they're in the trees that all the <laughs> railings are built for, like, waist high because they're for the Ewoks, right? Yeah. There's this random line in here. It says, more than one pilot drunk on jet juice in the celebrations after the destruction of the Death Star had toppled over the barriers that hit them around knee height. Like, it just blew <laughs> right past that. Did I mean, did they die? Like, because it's pretty, <laughs> pretty high up in the air. Well, like, hit the branches they, on the way down, and then it was yeah, a Yeah, there fall. you go. Just thinking about the... It's like, like kind of a little precarious to... Get really wasted. Dangerous. That's like like at a bar when you put your foot up on the on the bar. Like that's how all that is, right? Exactly. They probably were doing that. Exactly. Corey, I know you're trying to protect your online persona, but you've never had too much jet juicing on tumbling over a a railing in a three story building. Uh, we were we were debating before the show started of like how high are the trees in Endor? How high is the Ewok village? Like <laughs> like because that's got to be like what I would say at least three or four stories up, right? Yeah. Like that is For far safety. enough to land. Yeah. That's far enough to Quite land. Likely. Funny, you can and experience die, so. this in uh, Battlefront Two playing Ewok Hunt. You <laughs> yes, know, okay, you, that's right. that's the reference. There you go. Yeah. That is too high up because you take fall damage when you fall off of that. <laughs> so that alone. Anyway, I thought it was funny that they blew right past that a bunch of rebels had probably died by partying too hard after indoors. So, anyway, moving on. I highlighted that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about Han some because, you know, he was also about 50% of this book. So, first thing I want to talk about is Han's place in the New Republic. And on page 8, the first quote we have is, Time for the brains to work. No one had invited Han to stay and concoct a strategy to round up the Imperials that still remained and hadn't gotten the message that they lost. That was fine. They just needed to tell him where to fly and what to shoot. Han was good at that part. The best. On page 25, Han would never say that he missed the dogfights. He didn't. But he wasn't really a fan of this sort of thing either. He had never wanted to be a part of any military, much less a general. But if this was the way the fight was shifting, perhaps he'd need to find a way to adapt. On page 26, Han had never been a friend to the Empire. But unlike Kess, yes, Kess Dameron, 
yeah. hadn't become a fighter in the Republic for anything like a noble cause. For a long time, the only people Han had been fighting for were his friends, for Leia. But what was even the point of the battle if it drove them further apart? And then on page 214, the last quote, Leia frowned, shoving his legs again. The Empire got here first, Han snorted. Not everything had to lead back to the Empire. He didn't bother arguing with Leia now. He knew she would never see it from his point of view. But little words like this, little worlds like this, rather, ones that could not only self-sustain but thrive enough to develop their own art and culture, they didn't want to join any larger government, imperial or republic. They just wanted to be left alone. Han could respect that. So, in your opinion, does Han truly dislike the Republic or just the stipulations that it places on him? Because a lot of this book is spent with him kind of talking badly about it and talking about a lot of the problems with it, and yet he lets himself become sort of a a cog in the machine. Yeah. Yeah, I think, think, funny enough, I think Han is probably the most consistent character – uh, in, in canon and legends, interestingly, like I feel like he, we just know who he is, like in a lot yep. of ways, and like he's really depicted that way. And you know, I really don't think that Han's depiction and how much he hates authority and all that is really about that. I don't think it's that Han is a rogue or that Han is doesn't like authority or you know he doesn't like order and that sort of thing. I think this is a it's more like an internal conflict with himself of like, he doesn't want to, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to, you know, fit that puzzle piece shape. He's uncomfortable and insecure about that idea. Right. That like, that yeah. he could, he could like be part of this establishment system that feels like it's sort of against his own personal values, I guess. So like, that, that's really what all this is. It's Han's own insecurity. I think with himself is the way he feels like with this type of stuff. So, um, yeah. you know, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I think it is, I think it was Trevor yesterday that brought up in, in Slack. I, I said something about the book and we were talking about it briefly and he said something like, it's kind of a slap in the face to everybody that tried to rise to the ranks of the imperial, of the, uh, re- rebellion. Like the Han was made a right. general. Why the hell True. do they make Han a general? Like he's like the yeah, least right. qualified person ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, you know, um, it's nepotism. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, the way that Han is depicted here and does he hate the Republic? I think kind of, but he also, I think he, I think he has Jen Erso's attitude, right? Of like, yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. whose flag is flying. If you never look up, like yeah. I, I think deep down he knows right from wrong and wants to be good, truly deep down, but he's not yeah. willing to do the work to get there. Right. Because he, yeah. Yeah. I think he just wants to, I think Han's perfect life is, is a kind of what Corey's doing now. Han wants to go to an <laughs> Island he doesn't want to work. Syntax. And he just wants to, like, have some drinks and hang out and learn some... Like, he just wants to, like, people to leave him alone and have a great time. And I think Han is realizing in this book, his marriage to Leia is fundamentally opposed now to his entire life plan. And she is worth it. She is absolutely worth it to him. But he is realizing that... I don't think he likes the rep- dislikes <clears throat> the Republic any more than he dislikes, you know, having a calendar invite that he forgot about, you know, for a meeting. <laughs> He's just like... Oh God! I just want to. He wants to sit in bed the whole time. He wants I to don't. just play cards. <laughs> he's he's like, lazy, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to do these things. Very laissez-faire like, like, attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's like, like I Anakin. Fought, I fought the war. The war is done. Can we just yeah. chill? Yeah. He, he wants, wants relaxed Anakin's rules. Whole speech. 
to Padme in the field about talking about government, and he's like, "Well, they yeah. should be made to." That's how yeah. he feels. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, "You want to go to this? Want to go to this mixer with these politicians?" He's like, "Cool. Can I knife myself in the eyeball first? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think he just he knows who he is and knows where he wants to be, and hilariously, I think Han has the skill set to be very good at what Leia does." Which is the ironic thing. He's very charismatic, actually. I think he actually could do it, but he just never wants to put in that work, yeah. like you said, Corey. He can definitely convince a lot of politicians to look at things his way. Um, yeah. He convinced one to marry him. And he convinced a lot of people not to kill him. <laughs> like, even a giant <laughs> yeah, even a giant slug monster. So. Yeah. Hard to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing that stuck with me is that it had to be very <clears throat> jarring to be a general in the Republic when he literally defines himself by a lot of the characteristics that y'all are talking about. I mean, the fact that he's a rogue, that he's a scoundrel, he calls himself that repeatedly. The title of this book is The Princess and the Scoundrel. I mean, it's how he defines himself. And when he potentially loses that thing, or he, you know, he becomes legitimate and those, those sort of characteristics in a way get, get stripped away from him, he has to find a new way to define himself. And I think he tries to do that by defining himself as Leia's husband, but then yeah. we know that that you know doesn't work out in the long run either. So it's sort of like an identity crisis. That's kind of how yeah. I viewed it. Yeah, for sure. totally. For that's sure. that's kind of what I was trying to get at. I think is is like Han is uncomfortable with his identity. Like he his yeah. whole life he struggled with that immensely. Right. So you know it, it's it's kind of plastered all over uh, all over this book. And you know it's also really. This is an interesting time to bring up, too. It's also plastered all over the Halcyon because, uh, you know, I was talking a little bit before the show as well. It's really interesting to me that this book is, in a lot of ways, an advertisement for the Halcyon. I will say it was done much well, better. Don't, don't jump too far ahead now. Oh, you have that as a prompt? It's a, there's a whole overarching question teaser, about that. Teaser. Save that. Save that. <laughs> all right. Okay, I'll save that. I'll save that. All right. So let, let's go ahead and jump <laughs> then to Han's relationship with Leia how he views the relationship with Leia. We talked about the mm-hmm. other side of things. Let's look at it from this side. On page 181, were you thinking you just, what, Han said, caught between frustration and confusion, get married and then go back to normal like nothing happened? Leia shot him a rueful look. Han reached for her hand, the movement <clears throat> so sudden that Leia didn't have time to react. He wove his fingers through hers, then twisted their twined wrists so that their amber rings shone in the pale light from the falcon's open hatch. This changes things, he said. I don't know what you expected, but if you want this to mean something, it has to change things. Emotion swelled in Leia's throat. Of course, she said. Of course, it changes everything. On page 171, you knew you were marrying an ambassador and politician when you proposed to me. No, I thought I was marrying you. Han watched his words hit her like a fletchet, each one a piercing blow. And lastly, on page 231, it was like she was two different people. But Han understood now she wasn't. She was not just his wife, nor was she just the people's princess. She was Leia, and Han had to love all of her or none of her. Leia fractured herself for everyone. The strong warrior for the rebellion, the savvy politician for the Senate, the gracious leader for the people. But she was whole in front of him. Multifaceted and sometimes cracked, but whole. He had to love the whole of her or nothing at all. That was the way of it with Leia. All or nothing. He chose all. So... Was it fair for Han to expect things to change once he and Leia were married? Because he repeatedly, you know, made it clear that he did expect things to change. 
that he expected, you know, Leia to change her behavior, some of her goals. And it really kind of struck me repeatedly. Now, ultimately, he came around on that idea. But, right. you know, talk about that a little bit. Was that fair of him to expect? Did he, should they have done some counseling before <laughs> they actually got married is the, is the question. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they should have freaking talked about it. I mean, I think that's the that's the point of, of this is like this is why their relationship is so toxic. They're so bad at communicating with each other. And like it's just, just it's truly insane to me that two people who had truly barely known each other. I mean, it, it repeatedly talked about Leia's point of view, how she doesn't know so much about Han's past. And this is like... I don't know, man. You should probably figure some of that stuff up before you, you know, commit to a marriage relationship because it's, it's very clear throughout this whole book that they're not on the same page at all about right. a great many things. And, like, how could they possibly have been on the same page? They haven't talked about it at all. And it's just no. like, you know, this whole this like idea of mind reading is so toxic in relationships. Like, you can't mind read your partner. You can't read your partner's mind. Like, you can't know what they're thinking. Like, if you don't talk about it, like... Like I love that first yeah. line that you picked out there. Like, what are you thinking? You just what? Get married and go back to normal? I'm like, well, I guess I probably would be thinking that, <laughs> considering we didn't talk about it at all. Yeah. Like, yes, like uh, yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking. So, you know, that it's 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 funny that I think it's interesting that that Han has better quips in this book. Like yeah. in their in their fights, like Han has better one liners, right? He's yeah. like he's like I get the last word and I drop the mic. He has more of those moments yeah. and fights, and yeah. yes, and that's why that's that like that's not how you healthily fight. You don't have one liners, you don't have mm-hmm. mic drop moments. Like you have healthy <laughs> communication. It is so utterly ridiculous to me that like <laughs> like it's it's depicted in this way as if Han is sort of the good guy in this line, right? This mm-hmm. situation of like. But it's so utterly clear that this is just as much as Han's fault. That's, if I had one maybe minor criticism of of their relationship, the way it was depicted, is like I don't think that Han has a lot of reflection or self growth in the book. At least it's not as depicted. It, it, it's a little more one sided, as in Leia has much more to learn about their mm-hmm. relationship, whereas Han is just a dumb, simple idiot, right? And I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. true. Like, if they really yeah. want to make this thing work, they're both going to have to grow. And ultimately, they, they didn't, which is why, you know, maybe it is depicted in, in that way. So, yeah. I like, I like that last quote you picked there, Charles. <clears throat> the, 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 I guess, reach, of, reach at growth. If there is one, right? The like you have to love the whole of someone, nothing at all. Because I think, like you're saying, Corey, that's the thing where I think Han and Leia can conceptually understand, but clearly they, they never quite fully embrace. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of the, of this of this quote that I, I've I've held with me for probably about a decade now um, about true love, and it's it's something along the lines of when you marry someone or decide to be with someone forever, you're essentially becoming polygamous because what you're doing is you are promising to love who they are at that moment. But you also are promising to fall in love with every single person they're going to become for the rest of their life. And that's going to change. So you are actually definitionally going to be tied to and you're going to fall in love with different people for decades. But you're promising that early. So I think that's something that Han, I think, is just starting to realize now is that I proposed to Leia on Endor. The Leia of the recently blown up Death Star the Leia that had just won the Galactic Civil War. I love her. Great. It's like, cool, Han. You also, though, have to promise you will love the Leia of five years from now. You will <clears throat> love the Leia 
that births Ben Sola. You will love the Leia that is a senator. You will love mm. the Leia that is going to um, Chandrilla for meetings with Mon Mothma. Like, mm. But you also love the Leia that is exhausted and then will come back home. And I think that's one of the mm. beautiful things about an ideal marriage is that you get to love every version of that person. That's beautiful. And I think Han is starting to get there. I think, though, based on your prompt, Charles, he's trying to get there too early. He's trying to get to the change to Leia a little early <clears throat> before realizing that he has to fall in love and accept the Leia that he has, <laughs> and she will eventually get there. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever been in like a, a really long-term relationship, and then you immediately rushed into another relationship after you broke up, and it like yep. totally backfires because you have that exact same? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not at all speaking from experience here, but yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, I have, uh, that's uh, a Corey, I Corey, I have thought deeply about every relationship I've ever been in. <laughs> I've never made impulsive decisions, especially not when I was a teenager. I don't know what not, you're no. implying, but hypothetically, if some of our listeners have done that, exactly, yeah, yeah it's kind of like that. Alex, Alex in the chat brings up the other really, really good point we haven't mentioned at all too is that there's such a huge age gap between them, and yeah. like, was yeah. it last? Ep- was it was it Bounty Hunter? I don't know. Somebody brought up. I think Eric, you brought it up recently yeah. that it was last episode, the last timeline episode, episode <laughs> of Little Girl Leia. And like the Han from like from the solo, solo film are like pretty much the same apart. time, and it's yeah, just like, it's very close. <laughs> ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. So there's a huge age gap. We don't have to debate. You it's know, like while Han was learning but... to drive, she was learning to share. You know, like yeah. that's kind of like. <laughs> 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 the Oh, let's just Aaron. move right. I don't want to have this yeah, conversation. No. Uh, it's like daycare but, age, man. <laughs> it is a, it is a, it is a good point. Which which is which I think honestly though this this point about the age gap does kind of solidify my point is that like, you know, Han should be older and more mature and have less to learn, but he clearly doesn't and that is utterly frustrating for me as yeah. as the reader and well, like Han which never is, I, I, I was supposed to feel I'm supposed to, he never yeah. grows up. It's why yeah, they, did, also, they didn't make it work. Great point. So Brandon Leia seems to be the more mature one. The fact is, mm. uh, the weird age difference aside, we see them at that age. Like, at that point in time, Han has been living on the streets with the white worms trying to survive, and Leia is learning political theory and family from her amazing yeah. parents. So I think yeah. that does show, like, mm. that, that does a lot. That does a lot. Sure. Hashtag Baylor sure. is the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on now. <clears throat> Yes, so yes, they're lots. both adults when they meet and fall in love. Thank you, Brandon. That's very key. They're consenting adults. <laughs> we're gonna have to. Let's we're gonna have clear. to. Yeah, that is very true. We're gonna have to have Caitlin on for the second part of the episode. She can just tell us all the problems with their relationship. It would be ridiculous, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, yeah, we didn't, I didn't mean for this to spin so out of control and only talk about their relationship issues. But it is like a a key point of the book, and it's amazing sure. to me that yeah. that Beth Revis like captured it so well of just their. I, I, like the fights were written in a way in which their flaws are so highlighted and it was really yeah. well yes. well done I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't know if she did that intentionally I'm not sure if she has some sort of training maybe and I don't know relational issues Good and point. counseling or if this is just really natural yeah. to her because she's like, also I'm, just been married like like be, like you know I think that, maybe no no that doesn't okay, no uh, no it's just <laughs> I think right, that I is right. everybody everybody going. gets that wrong he's just the experience doesn't teach you shit you have to actually put the energy into <laughs> learning a how to do it person yes, I understand exactly. toxicity in marriage exactly yeah oh, that okay. that is the problem yeah so yeah well <laughs> anyway yes. right. plenty plenty of fights were had in this book Han got the cold shoulder a few times but never quite as cold as that time he spent frozen in carbonite and that's the <laughs> damn next, charles that's the next point i want to talk about Bird. 
Well done. Well Very done. Transition. The first quote for you on page 90. That damn missing year bumped up against the blank spots of his memory. Jabba would be thrilled to know, were he not dead, how much it haunted Han that he'd lost so much time while frozen in carbonite. He hadn't just lost the past. He also didn't have the groundwork for the future that the others did. It unmoored him in ways he didn't like to think about. And then there are a few moments throughout the book where he had sort of flashbacks to the experience. And one was on page 190. This silent, soft cold was far too similar to the cold of being frozen in carbonite. Han shuddered at the memory. The creeping silence and darkness still haunted him. The claustrophobic feeling of being utterly trapped in his own body. His vision blurred and he vividly recalled the moment he realized he had become temporarily blind from the process. From the process. The terror at being lost under his own skin. So that second quote really jumped out to me because it kind of implies that Han may have experienced the year being frozen. Is it, Am I reading that correctly or have y'all ever thought about that? Was he more or less awake and trapped for that whole year? I, I didn't read it like that. I read, I read this uh, as, as like the moment he was frozen in carbonite, personally. The actual yeah, moment I, of? Yeah, I read that as the moment of being frozen, but also, but I but I did read the the PTSD of yeah realizing that he lost a year because I yeah. think for me yeah. I read I read it as the pain 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 black wake immediately and a year's gone and I think that that was the stuff and a relatively traumatizing wake too right he's yeah. blind right. he's in Jabba's palace Boosh like, is there exactly yeah. <laughs> I mean did his like when they put him into the machine that made him that froze him in carbonite did the breath just leave his body and he like basically felt like he died you know i mean like yeah, I guess how so. horrible yeah. is that and he was like apparently he didn't see the white light or anything because he was just like yeah. Uh, yeah. i'm blind it, it also <laughs> highlighted that it was like maybe really painful and awful and stuff too because yeah. of the position in which he was frozen that was in this yeah. book that i wasn't expecting like yeah he was, was the, he was too. the experiment he was the guinea pig right yeah i was just see if it hurts <laughs> and, I, and I also lo- like loved. I guess it's a weird way. I, I guess I I artistically appreciated like the fact that whenever ice they went to an ice planet and Han was like, I don't want this. Like this ice. Remember last time I was around ice, I lost a year of my life. And I'm like, oh right, this this doesn't just go away immediately. Yeah. Like all of us watching the movie, we didn't see Han. We we followed Luke and Leia yeah. and all of them. And then Han was back. Great. And I think that, like, seeing that is just actually pretty... He like, never has ice water terrifying. ever. He always drinks room <laughs> yes. temperature water. <laughs> he goes to the restaurant and he asks for a water with no ice and they bring him ice anyway. And he says, no, take that back. I said no ice. <laughs> he just screams. You don't know what I've been through. <laughs> I love Alex's comment that says his year in carbonite, he was dreaming of wearing a fedora and using a bull whip. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. Oh, oh man. man. Harrison Ford yeah. did say at Celebration or whatever, he said this on like SNL or something at one point, too, of like like the damn song follows him everywhere. They played it when I woke up from my colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah, at Celebration, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, lo- I love love these moments. I thought, and, and I, I found it odd reading it that I hadn't ever thought about it or another yeah. thing hadn't really touched on it in this way. Exactly. Now it seems so obvious in retrospect. <clears throat> That exactly. of course that would have been very traumatizing to lose a year of your life in carbonite. Similar to the Leia Vader situation. I had just never really exactly. considered it. No, it faci- good. no facial hair was grown while he was frozen in carbonite. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> nope. He was perfectly nope. perfectly shaven when he got out of there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
I uh, I love the um, I love that moment when he was under the ice too. And is that what this quote yeah. is from right here? Is that what this is from? Uh, I think that might have been know? just one of the early moments maybe of being on yeah. Madurs, but there were multiple, yeah. Yeah, there's one specific moment where he like almost gets kind of lost in PTSD. Like, do you guys remember that? Like, in Leia, yeah. brings him back, sort of. He I think it was when the or whatever when the uh, ship or whatever was sinking uh, when it had the crack in the the little the, cartoon miniature submarine. I'm not sure what you guys were picturing, but I was 100 percent picturing like a Jetson. Yeah, like, well, little, tiny, like well, a little bubble, now. like a tiny little like, thing. It's just like like her and yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's what I was picturing yeah, was in my rough. head, but. Yeah, that was a great moment that Leo was able to bring him back. And I don't know, that yeah. was a, a, a strikingly beautiful moment, I think, between them that was sort of glossed over a little bit of, yeah. like, like he almost kind of had a panic attack, and she, like, brought him down mm-hmm. to earth and regrounded him and stuff. That was really cool and beautiful, Your I person, thought. So. you know? Yeah. I, re- I really enjoyed all this uh, exploration of Han thinking about being frozen in a carbonite. And I don't, I don't have that in any memory of being anywhere else ever in Star Wars. I don't know that I've ever... I've I've heard it mentioned plenty of times about Han having this year, but like there was a lot of commentary about that. How I love the thought too that was explored a little bit too about how Leia like loved him for this year in absence essentially, yep. and he didn't get to experience that full year of like kind of Leia's oh. love towards him. That's a beautiful thought. Yeah, kind it's of, heartbreaking, that, really. Like they, she's they just, been they, in the relationship a year longer than him. <laughs> Yes, I mean, the last moments of him before he was frozen was they confessing their love for each other. So, like, I don't know. That was a beautiful moment. Uh, I've never really yeah. thought about that because of the way the film ends. Like, yeah, you know, obviously yeah. Empire probably more than any other movie, and it just ends, and then Return of the Jedi starts, and it doesn't really. It's not really clear on screen that a full year has passed and how much right. work they've done, how much Leia has gotten to know Chewie. That was in this book too, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it's of all Leia. the comics now. Like all the comic uh, yes. stuff is going on, and like. And the fact that she mentioned that she met <clears throat> Kira, like they have a right. whole thing. Like, oh yeah, she has, learned, she has learned so much about his life. My, my Kira, been, like, <laughs> yeah. your Kira, my Kira. Damn it, you know what I mean. Grounded. Wait, hold on, we're married now. It's our Kira. All right, <laughs> let's, let's, oh, that could be a book. That could Najee. be a book. <laughs> All right, on gets a birthday. I don't know. I'm just saying. All right, before before this goes totally off the rails, last. Last prompt, last thing to consider here. You know, as much as Leia struggled with her relation to Vader, Han also did struggle a little bit with her relation to Vader. And at, even though at first when he found out, he took it very much at face value, he later said he was kind of just ignoring the problem. And so on page 217, we have this quote, Leia linked to Vader. That was impossible. It didn't make logical sense. So his brain had shifted it away, sidelining the truth so completely that he'd been able to ignore it. That had been a mistake. Not only had Han not seen just how heavily this information continued to weigh on his wife, he'd also not allowed himself time to accept the truth. Nothing like repression to rear its ugly head at the worst moment. Han forced the thoughts back down, again, as much as he could. And on page 219, would Han be as comfortable with the idea of his wife learning about the Force, considering the damage her father had done while wielding it? So, is that fair? Is Han's hesitation... Fair. He's marrying this woman, and he's, uh, you know, considering what evil things might she do with this power that she has. Like, would you feel mm. comfortable dating Hitler's daughter <laughs> or son? Yeah. I, I just had, I had a crazy memory just flash into my mind. There is a, 
There is a book, like a young adult book called, uh, I think it's called Hitler's Daughter, I'm pretty sure. And oh, I remember wow. reading it in like middle school. I cannot believe I'm remembering this. And it's like a... It's like a, a fictional story of these kids, and they're all like waiting for a bus or something, mm-hmm. and that's like the setting. And, and she's making up this story just to tell this interesting thing. But it is kind of about that idea of like maybe Hitler uh. had this secret daughter that she lived after you know the war and everything. And it was it's a very heavy book like this. So that's a very interesting question and a pretty good analogy, I think, of like we don't yeah. really see Han grapple with the idea of like Leia's use of the force and Luke's use of the force and the fact that this is Vader's daughter. And because he does have his own trauma related to this, I mean, Vader did torture him too. Right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, 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 that's it. I will There's say the, that's visual. The, 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 that was so good. Dear. That was so good, Eric. <laughs> I will say in, in a, uh, in chapter two, one of the quotes I wrote down because I wrote, I audibly laughed out loud alone when I was reading this, when Leia tells Han that Vader's her father, and all he said was, "Good thing he's dead," <laughs> I was like, I like audibly laughed out loud because I'm like, you know what? There's maybe not the first it, time. Right? Maybe not the right time to say that. <laughs> because I think there's also what? a difference to like, had Vader raised her right, and and really impacted who she is, other than her Force abilities. I think the the hesitation is fair, but I think why it's different and why Han actually doesn't end up letting it affect him too much is because she didn't learn from Vader. She didn't learn cruelty. She didn't learn megalomaniacal awfulness. She learned from Bria and Bale. She learned how to be a good person. Now, she has these abilities and strengths, sure, but like, you know, I think that the fact that she's more Organa than she is Vader or Skywalker at this point really helps him out, and I think that's where he eventually lands on it. That being said, definitely a little freaky. I think I'm not going to fault him for it. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, that's a good stopping point that, you know, those are the only characters we're really going to spend a whole lot of time on. So next week we will do some of the overarching questions. We will get into the Easter eggs of which there are plenty. So for now, that's all we got. Eric, take us home. You got it. All right, everyone, thank you so much again. Like Charles said, we'll be back next week with part two of this roundtable. We will unfortunately be missing Corey next week. He'll be at Pearl Harbor getting some you know, spiritual education. But we will be here uh, enjoying it. So thank you all so much for hanging out. And for now, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so, so much for all your support of everything we do here. We hope you're enjoying the Asheville documentary as well as the 50th episode of the Star Wars Archives. A special thank you to Pat, to Brian Julie, Patrick Ortiz, Earl Q, Robert Thomas, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Elizabeth Cloutier, Ashley Ingalls, Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at Corey M. Helton. Charles is at C. Hankel. Wes is at Boss Wes. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for potting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for hanging out, and as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. 
And remember, the Force will be with you, always.